Looking at Calgary. Looking at Alberta through new eyes. Roger Kincaid. Rob Breckenridge. News Talk 770's new morning tandem. Exclusively on Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good morning. Welcome aboard. Let's get to it here. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770 on this Thursday morning. Rob Breckenridge with you. Roger Kincaid off for a couple more days. He's going to be back on Monday. Got a lot to get to in the program. We'll tell you more about it because I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to our first guest here. Uh, but I will let you know that the phone lines are going to be open after 10 o'clock, 974-8255, because I do want to get your reaction to this interview. And we're going to try to cover a lot of ground here this morning as we are very pleased to welcome to the program Alberta's Premier Rachel Notley joining us here this morning. Madam Premier, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. A pleasure to be here. It's been an interesting year for you, a lot to talk about. Obviously, 2015 comes to an end. A lot of controversy, a lot of angst around Bill 6. Uh, let me get you to address, first of all, you uh, touched on Bill 6 in a speech you gave to your uh, provincial NDP council over the weekend, back on Saturday. There was some perception that maybe... You know, you were making light of the, the debate or making jokes about the debate when people are feeling anxious about what it's going to mean for them. Maybe explain, first of all, where, where you were coming from. Well, I, I think that the only way that could have been um, uh, drawn from my speech was if uh, somebody chose to take one excerpt and uh, not show the, the, the full excerpt of the speech, because that's clearly not what I was doing. And uh, anyone who's able to see the whole speech uh, would have known that that was not what I was doing. Uh, quite the opposite. Uh, as I've said a number of times, uh, I believe that, you know, ultimately as the Premier, I have to take responsibility for the fact that the way this was rolled out created um, unnecessary anxiety and concern for family farmers um, about the impact it would have on their way of life. And, and I apologize for that because that certainly was not ever our intent. And that's one of the reasons why we moved quite quickly to amend the bill so that there was clarity within the legislation legislation itself, as opposed to the regulation wherein it would have been found, um, in, within the legislation to show that um, uh, non-paid uh, employees and people that uh, were our family members of farmers would not be impacted uh, by this legislation. On the same topic, though, or on the flip side, we do believe it is time for Alberta to move forward uh, in the way that the rest of the country has, uh, in most cases, many, many years ago to protect vulnerable paid farm workers. That's what this bill does. And uh, we look forward to working with people throughout the industry to talk about the details of it because, of course, the detailed application doesn't come into effect January 1st, and it won't until we get it right, until we've consulted fully uh, with all stakeholders and, and have come as close to a consensus as we possibly can. And we're going to talk this one out. We're going to make sure we, we understand all the implications. And if it takes, you know, uh, 18 months or, you you know, then so be it, uh, because we, we know that when it comes to the detailed application that we, we need to get it right. Well, and I, I think, you know, a lot of farmers would agree with that. And, and there's a perception that this was rushed, though, to get the bill passed and to bring this forward and to not do that consultation before. We're talking about uh, a rather sweeping piece of legislation that touches on WCB coverage, touches on OHS rules, touches on the Labor Relations Code, and a lot of angst as to what that's going to mean for a lot of farm operations. So like you did on, on the climate change issue in developing a plan, why wasn't there that consultation beforehand? Well, there was some consulta consultation beforehand, and there had been a lot of consultation on the general principle uh, 
in, in, in for many years prior to this. Um, that being said, it's important to understand that the Labor Relations Code and its application doesn't come into effect January 1st and would only happen after we have extensive consultations through um, through a process that we're in the in the uh, currently developing right now. Uh, the same exists for the Employment Standards Code. It does not have application until after we've fully consulted. What has application right now is is the issue of workers' compensation so that if a paid farm worker is injured or killed uh, after January 1st, uh, they or their family will not um, uh, experience the life-changing uh, lack of income that happens when you are injured without appropriate workers' compensation coverage. This is a right that is experienced or enjoyed by every other worker in, in the province, and it doesn't make sense that it's not enjoyed by those ones, especially given the frequency of, of injuries and, and fatalities. So that's what applies, um, and, and uh, we believe that, that it can uh, be introduced with um, uh, in a way that doesn't create uh, huge hardship on either side um, and uh, will, in fact, uh, in many cases, help farm, farmers because they won't be sued. Um, and on the flip side, uh, the workers themselves can have their income replaced when the injury happens instead of waiting two and a half or three years till a lawsuit is completed. Those changes to the Labor Relations Code is, is part of Bill 6. Is, is part of the impetus for Bill 6 to give farm workers the right to unionize? Well, the right to unionize is actually a right that is protected under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and, had, and that has been upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada repeatedly. Uh, so it seemed to me to be something that had to be done. Now, I will say that if you look at other jurisdictions, uh, the density of, of union organization within the agricultural sector outside of large producers uh, is very low. And I uh, would be very surprised if anything, if it would be anything different here in Alberta. Um, so I suspect that the application of the Labor Relations Code will be limited to only the very largest of producers and the largest of operations and will have very little uh, impact uh, in a practical way uh, on, on smaller operations. That's certainly the experience that we have uh, seen in other jurisdictions. So how much say have, have labor organizations like the Alberta Federation of Labor or like even the UFCW? How much input have they had on this legislation? Um, not a great deal. Uh, they've, you know, they've staked out their positions on the issue, uh, you know, over the course of the last four or five years, as have uh, many, many other uh, stakeholders um, in the uh, in the in the course of um, this discussion, which, as I say, has been going on for many, many years. Uh, but certainly, with respect to the drafting of this legislation, uh, they were not. Um, they didn't have any say. All right. I mentioned the the climate change policy that uh, stemmed from the recommendations from this panel you put together. Uh, we know what your government's planning to do. We don't know what more Ottawa is going to uh, impose on the provinces. We're, how vulnerable are we in that sense, since we're going ahead with a carbon tax, implementing this plan, and we may get hit with more from the feds? Well, I think, uh, quite honestly, the fact that we've introduced the plan that we have and the fact that, that we've enjoyed such incredibly high levels of consensus within Alberta and indeed from some players outside of Alberta, that it actually strengthens our position quite significantly, Rob. Um, what it does is it ensures that we have taken the time and the effort to put together a well-thought-out, well-researched um, program that takes into account our industry, our economic situation, makes significant 
significant progress while at the same time being sensitive to uh, the um, the fact that we are a, a, a very major energy producing jurisdiction. So by doing that and and not waiting to be the victim of some kind of uh, federal imposition, I think we've strengthened our position. And I also believe uh, quite strongly that that uh, most key players uh, across the pro- country, as well as in Ottawa, understand that Alberta has made a big move and uh, and respect us for that and will probably uh, leave it at that. And let me be clear that regardless of whether they see that or not, that's my position. Uh, we are going to focus on executing the, the terms of the plan that we've put in place because we think it's a good one and we are not interested in trying to add additional requirements to people. Regarding this plan, and part of the hope is obviously that, that this will make it easier to get new pipelines built, uh, and that's something measurable. If we don't get these pipelines built, is the plan a failure, or how else do we judge the success or failure of this? Well, I think that the pipeline, getting the pipelines built is one uh, element of, of measuring the success, but of course it's not the only one, because let's be clear, um, I think Albertans, like all Canadians, like all citizens of the world, understand that climate change is real, and that the consequences of climate change impact everybody, and indeed that we've already seen some of the consequences of climate change here in Alberta, and uh, if, if scientists are to be believed, and it's my principle that, that those are the folks we should go with, um, um, the consequences are going to get worse before they get better. So to be clear, uh, we, I think, uh, have a measurable success if we are, are able to reduce our emissions, to bend the emissions curve in Alberta, and to kickstart a more vigorous, robust um, renewable energy sector um, within the province of Alberta, and to support Albertans as they find ways to reduce their emissions profiles. So all of those are measures of success. That being said, there's no question as well that we would like to see this help us on our case with respect to um, uh, getting pipelines built, and it certainly helps me as I make that case, and I'll be really dedicating a lot of time to that um, in the new year. Um, Ultimately, if we're successful or not, I don't get to make every single part of that decision. So uh, I know this will help, um, and I hope it will help. All right, Premier, stand by if you can. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back, continue this conversation with Premier Rachel Notley, talking about the year that was here in the province of Alberta, looking ahead to 2016, some of the challenges we face, and more on what this government is trying to accomplish. It's the King Gate and Breckenridge Show. We're back with more right after this. The sky is crying. Welcome back, Kincaid and Breckenridge on Newstalk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you in conversation with Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. And Madam Premier, let's talk a bit more about the carbon tax. And I wonder how much of this is about revenue. There's going to be additional net revenue coming into the government as a result of this carbon tax. Was that part of the impetus for this? Actually, there's not new net revenue uh, to the government, Rob. I was very clear in the announcement that as long as Alberta's economy is in the situation that it's in, every cent that uh, is collected through the carbon pricing regime will be reinvested back into the economy, not to somehow um, uh, uh, you know, balance off current operating um, expenditures, but in fact to reinvest it into the economy, because we don't want to uh, take money out of the economy at this time. 
So parts of it will go back in, for, in the form of rebates to low- and middle-income um, uh, families. Uh, parts of it will go back in terms of uh, incenting uh, renewable energy development, technological um, development, and, and innovation in industry with respect to those things. And part of it will go back in terms of supporting Albertans with respect to energy efficiency strategies, uh, both uh, in a large scale, like with municipalities, as well as uh, uh, on a smaller scale with with smaller households and smaller communities. But the idea is that 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 every cent goes back in and uh, it does not get dedicated to uh, general revenue or operating. Okay, so if that's the case, uh, obviously we're in a situation where revenues are not where the spending is. uh, And if we're to get off the oil roller coaster and not rely on those revenues to, to bail us out as we've done in the past, how do you close that gap? Well, I think that's a longer-term process. I mean, we this this gap has been created by a long-term uh, by fiscal framework uh, in Alberta that relied um, uh, too much, I would suggest, on royalty revenues. That being said, uh, the process for fis- fixing that overall framework, which I agree with you needs to be um, uh, addressed, is not to do it overnight and to take one economic uh, downturn and and then uh, pile on to that economic downturn with another economic crisis by either um, um, you know making a whole bunch of massive cuts or um, uh, you know raising taxes in a huge way. So uh, we think that you know one of the things, for instance, that we did was we pushed out the date for balancing the budget. That's something that I understand Albertans are a little bit uncomfortable with because I understand the culture of this province. But on the flip side, no other province in the country enjoys anywhere near the GDP to debt ratio uh, that Alberta has. We have uh, half the national average in that respect. And so we have a bit of room to move in. And, and, and so that's what we think is the responsible thing to do in order to help Albertans get through these tough times. It's not to pile on, but it's to work with them to, to come up with other economic diversification and job creation programs and to maintain current services so that uh, we can support families, not uh, pile on them. Well, and, and certainly economy, uh, economic growth, jobs, big concern for a lot of Albertans right now. And, and critics say that a lot of what the government's doing or talking about doing is, is creating uh, uncertainty or, or discouraging investment. Uh, there was the story in the Calgary Herald Wednesday uh, about a government memo from June suggesting that one of your policies, the minimum wage increase, could lead to significant job losses. As an example, are government policies compounding the problem? I would say uh, quite the opposite. I think, uh, first of all, you need to understand that given the situation that we're in right now, both the other opposition parties ran on platforms that included massive cuts to uh, important frontline services that Albertans rely on. And you need to understand that if those level of cuts had gone through, the economic slowdown that that we are seeing would be much worse right now. Um, But in addition, what our government has done is we've, you know, we've created a new economic diversification ministry. Uh, We are working with business by freeing up uh, over $2 billion of capital uh, for um, small and medium-sized enterprises to help them diversify and also to help those smaller and medium-sized enterprises that are trying to get through the slowdown right now uh, to sort of give them bridge funding. That's part of what we've um, freed up through the the over $2 billion of of increased access to capital. And then, of course, uh, we've got our job creation incentive program 
and in addition to that, we've enhanced the investment that the government of Alberta will make in infrastructure. We all know that, that we've got infrastructure deficit in Alberta. Frankly, uh, investing in it now is good uh, a good thing to do with respect to both uh, smoothing out a little bit some of the dips in the economy and also ensuring that we have the infrastructure that attracts investment, that we that we focus on infrastructure that, that makes us a better place to invest. And so those are the kinds of policies that we've been developing, and those, along with, I think, our climate change plan, are going to actually help Alberta continue to be a leader uh, when international investors look at where to put their, their investment dollar. Okay, but and, and fair enough that it's fair to look at the, the potential positives of what you're doing, but if, if others see, others in industry or economists or even uh, those those in government, bureaucrats who are analyzing these policies, see the potential for job losses or the potential for discouraging investment or the potential for creating uncertainty, is it that you disagree that that's happening or that you're indifferent to the fact that it's happening? Uh, I, I think that uh, probably the better way to approach it is that I think you're probably overstating the degree to which that is happening as a first as a first point. Secondly, uh, the memo to which you're referring to actually says that the steps that we've taken thus far uh, at the very least has no negative impact and suggests that there is in fact research out there, as I've been saying all along, that suggests it might actually have a positive impact. The additional information in the memo suggests that there's a possibility uh, that, you know, by 218, it may have negative outcomes. But again, uh, we've been very clear all along that as we move forward on this, we are going to engage in evidence-based decision-making. We're going to track what the implications have been as we've moved forward. We're going to keep an eye on what's happening in the economy overall and to the level of job creation and job sustainability in in Alberta, and we'll adjust accordingly uh, because we are going to to, uh, do as much work as we can to have the best evidence before us. And uh, the document that you're referring to, if you read it fully, essentially says we don't know exactly what the outcome would be if uh, this goes ahead as previously planned in 2018, um, and there's a possibility that we could have job losses. But it doesn't say definitively, nor is it relying on uh, a planned state of action that we've actually committed to yet. Okay. But in terms, then, of the the, the notion of, seeing the impact, judging the impact of policies, adjusting if necessary, following the evidence, does that apply to the, the, increased, in cor- the increased corporate taxes or does it uh, apply to the, the potentially higher royalty rates that we might see? Uh, well, certainly, as I've said uh, a great deal about with respect to the royalty rates, um, we uh, uh, are uh, ensuring that, that uh, what happens is highly sensitive to the situation that we're dealing with now. And I think that uh, most players within that industry will see that that is the outcome when the plan is rolled out. And so I appreciate I'm not giving the details right now, but I, but I am saying folks ought not to be too worried about that. And we are very committed to, to uh, responding to uh, the sensitivity of, of uh, the economic situation that we're in now. And um, that's what we'll continue to do as we go forward. We care about job creation, uh, and we know it's important. The other thing to keep in mind, though, Rob, is that we continue in the province of Alberta to have a, a roughly uh, $7 billion tax advantage on a per capita basis relative to any other jurisdiction. So that is often forgotten in some of this debate, um, and and so we remain a highly competitive place for people to invest. All right. 
Madam Premier, we'll leave it there. Uh, hopefully we'll have opportunities to talk about these issues again through 2016, but uh, thank you for making some time for us here today. Okay, it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, there you go. That is uh, Rachel Lally, the Premier of the province of Alberta. So we tried to cover as much ground as we could there. Uh, we're given 15 minutes with the Premier, went a little bit longer than that. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity uh, in the future to do something longer, have her even come in, do an hour as uh, her predecessor did, even take some phone calls. Uh, let's hope at the, the start of that. I want to get your reaction to what you heard from Rachel Notley. We touched on a lot there, minimum wage, carbon tax, royalty review, Bill 6. And there's probably more we could have touched on as well. Tell you what, though, if you're going to call, like some of our texters have already done, if you're going to respond with Notley's uh, B-word, Notley's a Nazi, don't even bother. Don't even bother. You want to keep talking like that, see how far that gets you. I get it. There, there are a lot of intelligent criticisms to be made of the Notley government. This government needs to be held to account. I don't think they're on the right path in a lot of issues. But if you're going to talk like that, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. See how far that gets you. So if you think there is an audience for that, you're not going to find it here. I'm not going to entertain any of that. Seriously, the more I see that, and it's only a handful of you, I get it. It's just, it's outrageous. It's outrageous that that's the best that some critics can come up with. If that's the best you got, then just give up now, surrender, because you're going to lose and you're going to keep losing. That's the path to nowhere. So save it. I don't want to hear it. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.